we're just just so glad that this side is anchored and this side is anchored and back there is anchored. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 26. Um, we are in the season of Lent. It's just two Sundays away, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. We, we celebrate Christ's resurrection, and it's a shared victory in his death and resurrection, Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday. And everything that God did before that moment and everything he's done since that moment rests on that event, on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, there's so much to cover. I'm not going to try to cover uh, a whole lot in uh, this chapter or in this whole scenario of, of what happened on that day when he had his last Passover with the disciples and he gave them instructions. We're going to pick this up when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane. And we'll begin reading in verse 36. This is Matthew 26, verse 36. And yes, sorry we don't have the graphics, um, but um, electronics. The electronic age just throws a monkey wrench in things, but thankful that uh, Tolliver had a laptop that we could do for a backup. So here we go, Matthew 26, 36. At that time, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Actually, the word means an oil press. And we know where that's at because there's a huge olive grove of trees there just on the other side of the Kidron Valley. He says, sit here while I go there and pray. And he took with him Peter and two, the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Were you not able to keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Lord, may you speak to our hearts and our minds this morning from your word. Uh, we are, we're in many years since this happened. But we face the same challenges that was faced in that garden with these men. And I pray that you'll speak directly to us how we can join in with what you do, that we are not pulled into a lull, into a slumber of other kinds of sleep, that we will be active and engaged and involved everything you're doing. There's something in this, Lord, that you want to speak to each of us today about our alertness, about where we're at, about our distractions. And whatever it is, I believe, Lord, you want to talk to each of us personally. And I ask that we be open to that. Speak to our hearts. And when you speak to our hearts, it changes who we are. And we welcome that change. And we ask for that change. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, there's some things about this that in my mind, and I'm thinking about how did these other eight 
disciples felt. You know, I think about that. He takes Peter, James, and John with him up to the mountain of transfiguration. And he leaves the other nine down at the foot of that mountain. And um, they're up there. They're just having a great time with Elijah and Moses and seeing the revelation, hearing God's voice. And, and the other nine are down there dealing with a demon-possessed boy that they can't deliver. I wonder about the small talk when they're away from everybody. You ever, they had to be human, right? Well, wonder why he takes those three up there to the mountain to have all of that wonderful experience. And we're down here trying to battle demons. And not only that, they take, Jesus takes them into a, a room to pray over a little girl. And he leaves the others outside. And this time, I just think, in my mind, I'm, they're, they're walking across the Kidron Valley. They just had a, a very intense Passover meal. And he leaves eight of them. Uh, in the inner part, in, in the outskirts of the garden. And then he takes the three with him even deeper into the olive grove. And I've been at that olive grove. There's some trees there. They've dated back to 2,000 years. They won't let you go in it because people want to peel off some bark as some kind of magical anointing on it. Maybe this was the olive tree that Jesus prayed under. That's the way we are, right? We get into relics. But he takes them deeper into the garden, and he says something so pointed. He said, my soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I don't think Jesus was prone to the dramatic, do you? I don't think he just talked like this all the time. This was a moment where he looked at them, and he said, I am really in great distress. I want you to watch with me. Stay right here and watch with me. And he goes over deeper into the olive grove and he begins to pray. And so it, it was really personal with him. He says, you're here, you're here with me. I'm, I'm going to go there, but I want you to stick with me. And if we could go so far as to infer that he's telling them that he needs them. Do you get that? Do you get that? He is telling them, I'm in great distress this is not formality. This is not to teach you a lesson on prayer. This is not to teach you what to do when you're under stress. I need you to stay right here and watch with me. Stay with me. Hang in here with me. So he goes deeper and he says this to his father. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. We know from reading this that he prayed this three different times. Can you see the magnitude of that prayer? Can you see what he's actually asking the possibility? That he is so under stress and the weight of what's going on there personally in his soul. This is before anybody laid hands on him to arrest him, before any blow to his face took place before any whip touched his back the soul was in such turmoil his soul his spirit he said my soul is the inner part of me that is under such stress it's to the point of death I'm I feel like I'm at the point of death and I don't think that we kind of can grasp that that Jesus who stomp, who's killed still the waters who cast out demons who healed the lame, raised people from the dead, is in this point, in this point, can you, can you fathom where he's at? 
It's hard for me to fathom the depth of what he was feeling. And he prays this three different times. The first time he returns back to these three men. And there he says, were you not able to keep watch with me? I believe he expected them, from the way he reacted, he expected them to kind of hang in there with him. Not, not to go to sleep, to stay the course, be here with me, I need you. And he goes back, and if you see the passage, he didn't ask all three of this. He looked directly at Peter and he said, were you not able to stay with me? You're not able to hang in here? With me for one hour? And this is the man he's talking to. If you look back around verse 26, somewhere along in there, in Matthew 26, where he's telling them, he quotes Zechariah the prophet, he said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. And he said, because of that prophecy, all of you will fall away from me tonight. Every one of you will fall away from me tonight. And when he quoted Zechariah, Peter spoke as, not me. No, sir, not me. I'm in it for the long haul. We remember that, right? He's like, the rest of them, he pointed to the rest of them. The rest of them, and maybe it's because Jesus has dealt with him personally in what he prided himself on. How about you, you can count on me. He directs this question to Peter, does he not? That's what Matthew's recording. Matthew wasn't there to observe this. Somehow he knew what took place there later to put this on paper. Luke and Mark were not disciples, and they record this, so they had to get their information from one of the apostles. But it's to Peter that he directed that. Were you not able to keep watch with me for one hour? You know, they had fallen asleep, but I think in real time, maybe Jesus would say something like this to us about an hour. Can you not lay your phone down for one hour? Can you not turn the game off for one hour? Can you not shut down Facebook for one hour? Can you not engage in all that you do with the distractions? Can you not spare me one hour? I could kind of pick them in real time today sitting on their sitting there with their phones doing all kinds of stuff texting the other guys hey you never know what's going on in here and and he walks in there the thing is they did not do what he asked them what he and it wasn't even a, an ask it was an imperative both of those words are in the imperative stay right here and watch with me stay with me be alert to me and he quoted that that passage in Isaiah and Zechariah watch and pray and he's not finished Look at verse 41. Watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, we know that he came back two other times, found them sleeping, but he didn't say anything to them. He turned around and walked back. Now, he might have said something to them. We don't know. It's not recorded. But we know what he said to them after that first time to find them sleeping. He said this. Watch and pray. And he adds prayer here. Earlier he just said, stay here and watch. Be alert. Stay with me. But then he says, watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. And what he says next is probably the greatest description of all of us. Right? The spirit 
is willing, but the body is weak. And this is the NIV. It's really not soma, which is translated Bible. It's sarks. It is the word for flesh that Paul deals with, that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. He's really saying that the human nature, your human nature, that you're dealing with right now is weak when it comes to doing the things of God. The only way you're going to overcome that weakness is that the spirit in you, he's telling him, the spirit in you is willing to do what I've asked you to do, what I've told you to do. But the flesh is weak. So he calls them again to stay with him. Watch and pray. And quite frankly, I think that's that summation that our spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The body is weak. That in our spirit, in each of us this morning, isn't there a willingness? When we sing certain songs, when we kind of, something in the song touches us and we say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to lay my life down. I want you to take my life, take my abilities, take everything that I am and everything I don't even think I can become. I want you to take me and shape me and mold me into the vessel you want me to be. Haven't you had those moments when you just surrendered everything to the Lord, this moment where he's right there in front of you calling us and we're like, count me in. Count me in, Lord. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Use me. Here's my life. Use me. And it might not be long after that. Here comes the weakness of the flesh, right? And we have to overcome that. The word sarks, the flesh, denotes the human nature, the earthly nature of man. If you look this up in the, in the Greek de definition, it's the earthly nature of man apart from the divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Jesus expected these men to stay awake. I don't know how many times if you had trouble traveling at night to stay awake. I've done a lot of unusual things to stay awake. I slapped myself. I put my face outside the window. And I even tried to drink coffee. And the only reason I found out that coffee can keep you awake is that when you get a too big of a slurp and you hit it with your throat, it, hits, it scorches your mouth, and that keeps you awake. You have to take the upper layer of skin off your tongue. That keeps you awake. I figured it out. Get a big old slurp of coffee, and that will keep you awake. And here these, here are these men, they're, they're tired. It even says at the end, Matthew says, because their eyes were heavy with sleep. We know how that is. But he says, pray with me. Pray. I don't, I still can't get the gist of Jesus saying, I need you to pray with me. I need you with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. Stay the course. I need you men. Three times he expected them to stay in there, to hang in there. And all three times he found them asleep. I wonder if we have a different kind of sleep today. When he calls us to be a part of his purpose in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. I thought about that stimulus check that got sent out this week. Some of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but in our Thursday morning gathering that we have, some of us men have been meeting on Thursday morning ever since, I don't know, 
back when Stand in the Gap took place with in Washington, D.C. But we all, we all, all of us in that room had seen that the stimulus check was deposited in our account. I'm not going to comment on how I feel about that. But it was forced upon us. How's that? But I thought about that. I said, you know something? We got a major, miraculous commitment to speed the light. And I told, I told the rest of the guys, I said, this is what I think we ought to do. It was money that we didn't expect to have. I didn't need it. Everybody in that setting said they didn't really need it. But here it is. $140 of that is already the Lord's, according to last Sunday's message. It's already the Lord's, right? It's already the Lord's. It's our increase. It comes to us. The first tenth of that belongs to the Lord. But all of us ought to be willing to take another 140 or 100 or something and give it to speed the light. Amen. I think that's a wonderful idea. Amen. That's a little weak amen over there. Amen. Come on. Am I not right? Something we didn't expect, it just happened. And I really think it becomes part of our joining our purpose. You know, on Sunday nights we pray for, we pray for all of our missionaries. We pray for the Kiaf at Alabama. We pray for the one at Auburn. We pray for the one at America University where uh, Blaine and Hannah Young who came out of this church. We pray for the campus ministry that Susan Ricketts is doing in Japan. Charles and Amanda Gravely came out of this church. They're doing campus ministry in Brussels, Belgium. And we, pr- we get to praying for all of the university ministries that's going on around the world because God wants this world to be reached with the gospel. And we're going to pray for the unreached people groups, the UPG groups throughout the 1040 window from Korea to China, all across Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, all the way across into Europe. And it's almost as though America is now becoming one of the maybe unreached people group where we are crying out for the revelation of this that Jesus is doing, what was burdened on him, the, the power of this weight that he had upon him, that he's going to be the sin bearer. He was carrying all of this on himself to the point that he actually asked the Father if it is possible Let this cup pass from me. That's hard to fathom. But that, you know, that wasn't the way he ended his prayer, though. I think the physical part was not as challenging to him as it was the soulish part. The soul, his soul absorbing the full weight of man's sin was pushed him to the point of such stress that it says that the pores in his facial area started bleeding with blood, not sweat. His sweat turned into drops of blood that pushed their way through his skin under the stress that he was under. And that's the burden we carry in some way, in some measure in our lives to reach our world. Paul spoke of this internal struggle between the flesh and the spirit. 
And he said, they're warring against each other. In Galatians, he said, he, he focuses on the works of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit energizes our spirit. We got missionaries all through South America. And, and I mentioned Shelby, whose dad passed away. Her and her husband, Zach, are in, in Guayaquil, the southern, southwestern part of Ecuador. And all through Central America, Jess Endurance, right out of our church. She's there in Tegucigalpa. We, and, and we need to feel the weight, not only of the ones who've come out of our church into the mission field, but those who are in places like Indonesia and India, places that we can't even mention in some regard, whether it's Nepal. But we have our footprint in those countries by supporting in Russia. We have a young lady in Russia that we support. We just... We just want to be connected all around the world. But the pressing, I just think maybe our giving is one thing, but shouldn't our intercessory prayer be greater than that? Shouldn't the burden on our souls be greater than the press to give? It takes both, does it not? And I really think that he's kind of talking to us in this passage. Can you resist distractions to hang in here with me to reach the world with the gospel? Can you be willing to give yourself up for the things of God? Can you lay aside the distractions just for an hour to spend with me? To seek my face, to let me speak to you, to let me use you. I told someone today, and, and the praise team can come up. I pray for North Korea as much as I pray for any other nation. Not just for the church in North Korea, but the leadership. This is what I pray for Kim Jong-un and for the prime minister in China. I pray for the peoples closest to them to get saved. And that they have shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder contact with someone who's regenerated by the Holy Spirit. The Lord died, can you agree with me? Jesus died for everybody. <laughs> and that includes everybody that you don't like. I know that's a revelation. He died for everybody. And when we pray, when we pray, when we can't go to North Korea, but we can send our prayers to North Korea, I just believe that God takes our prayers and does something with them. Would you agree with me that God could save North Korea without our help? He could do that, right? But he won't. That's why he raised the church up. That's why the church was endowed with the Holy Spirit. Power from above. And he said, you go out and I will use you to reach the people of the world. He could do it. He could do it without us. But he won't. And we may feel so limited. What can I do? Living here. What's my influence, my circle of influence? I'll tell you what, you enlarge the circle of influence when you're on your face, like Jesus was on his face, crying out for the people of the world. 
just taking a little time to be a point of reference. Could you stand with me this morning? And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, to let God personally challenge you. Lord, talking to you, coming to you is not burdensome to you. You welcome us to converse with you. You welcome us to sit in your presence and just let you talk to us. You enjoy communion with us. It's meat for you. Not the visual substance that we need. But it adds to your kingdom when we put our voices among the voices of intercessors. Crying out to you, O oh God, to save our world. To save people that we will never meet in person, but to speak to them, to reveal yourself. To save Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims. To save those who are steeped in Buddhism. To save those who have had generations of Hinduism taught to their little ones. But now in this world of information and computers and phones, may the younger generations hear a message that their grandparents would have never been given that opportunity. Those who are using the internet for the gospel's sake, we pray blessings over them. Lord, that you use us as part of that enormous surge in our world of the gospel going forward throughout our world, throughout the campuses of this country, throughout the campuses of the world, Lord. We cry out. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord. We give ourselves to you, Jesus. Just worship, take a few minutes to worship and surrender ourselves to it. your 